0: Have you been feeling stuck, exhausted, and finding yourself living as a passenger in your own life? By giving away so much of your energy and power to everyone and everything around you, but you? Well, you are not alone. My name is Dr. Valérie Dugaman, osteopath, and I have been there too. After being burned out, exhausted, I decided to take control of my life and get back into my driver's seat. It wasn't easy though, but I did it, and you can do it too. In this podcast, I will share stories, invite guest speakers, and provide insight and tips on how to turn your life around and move back into your driver's seat. My guess, while managing risks, safety, compliance, and people in the complicated world of building, construction, mining and processing plants, was also dealing with a confusing and intense upbringing, a life-changing long-term chronic illness, and somewhere in there, what life in general tend to add to the mix. She has now been wanting a her own consultancy to industry for over 10 years, and also published her book, Words of Beck. Her friend gave her a star name, Planet Beck Star. Our conversation today, it's about no matter your circumstances in life, you can truly reach the stars. Thank you, and welcome Becky Parols to the Driver Seat Club.
1: Hi, Valerie, and thank you very much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Yes, I'm really looking forward to sharing my story around that, I suppose. Look, I came from a very dysfunctional background. My childhood, memories aren't great. My father was an alcoholic, and uh, unfortunately, all the abuse and and narcissistic, you know, behaviour that came with that. So I I grew up in an environment where I was told I wasn't worthy, I didn't belong, I had no value, you know, all that sort of really horrible stuff that say it once to someone and it can bounce off and say it every day and it becomes your truth. And then I obviously growing up and and really wanting to get out of that, not really knowing how, I didn't have friends, we weren't encouraged to engage socially or anything like that, So I got to kind of university age and apart from the pressure of, you know, I have to achieve, like I was a grade A student, one, because I was, you know, a good student, but two, you know, I was also under the threat of violence if I didn't achieve that much. Okay. Yeah, it was very clear I was going to university because I had those things and that was just, even if I didn't want to, that wasn't going to be an option I'd have. Looking at the options, I was good at maths and science and I also had this desire, I wanted like a really good paying career that could kind of take me away from my circumstance. Originally it was architecture, but that had six years of, of study, which just wasn't possible. And also the university was distant and there was no way I was going to be able to leave home anytime soon. Controls and everything were still there. So I had to use the local university. And so the closest thing, even though I now know they're not very close at all, they're related, was engineering. And I had no idea what engineering was. I was told, you know, good salary. Everyone always needs buildings and roads and things like that. So, you know, it's a career for life. Great. Sign me up. Without realising what that actually meant. So I did my first year of uni, 640-odd blokes and 10 girls because this is, you know, 30 years ago. This was not when women in STEM was a thing or encouraged. So there was no support groups. So that was a shock in and of itself. Yes. And then I went and got a job in the same space because I needed to pay for the degree and I didn't choose the hospitality route and all that sort of stuff that, that students did. One, again, the kind of the constrictions around not, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be able to work till midnight. I didn't have a car. and I didn't have parents who had a car and, you know, all that sort of generous stuff that parents do that I've since discovered where they're happy to drive their kids to their job. I didn't have any of that. So i got a nine to five job in the industry which was great for furthering my career and sort of, you know, shortening that so I came out of a degree with also three years of work experience but at the time wasn't paid very well so it was an interesting juggle. But the main thing that stands out is I went into a career that also told me back then that I didn't belong, you know, had to fit into their world and I wasn't worth anything, I didn't fit. So the same messages I'd received over and over again in my childhood I kind of got in my career selection, which is, you know, interesting from a, you know, psychological point of view and and all those things that you can kind of, you know, pop psych 101 and go, oh. But what happened and what it made me do was kind of choose early. You know, a lot of people who don't necessarily have some of those challenges just kind of can keep going and kind of don't really feel... 100% in or motivated or committed they just kind of you know cruise on through because that's their life and that's what they're used to and, and they have the facility to do that I didn't have that facility and then what happened just to you know double down on like how interesting is my life at age 18 just after I was kind of getting into the career in the second year of uni I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis so massively debilitating physically destructive instant you know I went from like healthy girl walking to and from uni a couple of kilometres a day to someone who couldn't even hold a hairbrush to brush her hair she was in that much pain it took them several months to diagnose me so it was a very long drawn out and incredibly painful process and when they finally diagnosed me I kind of had this whole what's the point why have I tried so hard why should I keep trying so hard you know I went and looked at help groups and support groups and had. The same messages are once again given to me. Like, and because these were elderly people, it's like, oh, just change your career. Just pick something else. Overwhelmingly, I was told once again to give up, check out. It's not worth it. Okay. And how did you feel about uh, having again, even
0: when you were sick and you were diagnosed with this condition and going and seek some medical help? And they keep on telling you the same thing that you've been hearing from your childhood, your first job, and also seeking help. Mentally, how did you feel before
1: the resilience come? Very, very angry, like rage possibly. And I'm like, is there a level above rage? Because I possibly reached that too, like angry. You know, burn down the world angry. It's not fair. How dare this happen? Why me? So there was depression tied up in that as well. But overwhelmingly, my emotion was anger. And in that space, being angry and having an element of, you know, why me and that that sort of... Pathway to depression. I won't say I had full blown depression. Definitely, there was a pathway there, and there were elements, I suppose, of you know that happening in amongst the anger. I just recall I spent three days in what I call the, the black place. I felt like I was just breathing black. I just, you know, just in this nothing space where it was dark, and you know there was no sound, there was no import or porch or anything like that. Kind of, like, you know, you imagine the bottom of a well. Something in that sort of realm. And I'd spent three days there. People would call that depression, and yes, that probably was, but it was also just very, very, very internal. And I came out of that with the realization that I either check out and give up and take the advice of all these things. But for me, that was like whole of life decision. That wasn't just, the, you know, this thing. It was kind of like, well, what's the point of being here? Or screw everybody, stuff these messages. I'm gonna do whatever I can to have a life. And I've got to make that happen. And I've got to push that and I've got to create it essentially because no one's gonna help me. So I was very clearly faced with these choices. I'm an extreme person. So you know it's either this end or this end. there's kind of no middle ground for me. I'm in or I'm out. Just kind of no, I'm gonna sit on the fence for a while. So you know that's why they were, you know, worlds apart. So like it's either I'm either done or I'm in. And I chose him because I was too angry to give up. You know, I was too angry to prove everyone right. I was too angry to take any of that advice. So I channeled that anger. And one of the things I learned over time is anger, emotions are energy. So you have the ability to tap into the energy behind the emotion and use it in another way. So there was a lot of transformation. But I was still very angry and I had a lot of anger spare. That's why it was always available. But I transmitted that into action. So I might have been very angry doing things, but I was doing things. So I kind of went out and kept going with my uni, kept achieving and achieving and achieving just to prove everyone wrong. And I had probably about 10 years or so of just, you know, ticking boxes of achievement. I've done that. I've done that. And growing in my career and expanding. But hindsight, obviously, what I realized in the space of those 10 years is that's all I was. You know, I was all about work. It was all about achievements. It was all about proving people wrong. And there comes a point where that, as we know, if we've sort of had exposure to coaching, is what's your success becomes your sabotage if it's not necessarily being done in the right mindset. There came a point where the anger no longer drove me, where I'd siphoned off enough energy of the anger that it wasn't really able to be used anymore. And also, too, I would had 10 years of life. So I didn't actually have a lot in the space I was currently in to be angry about. I had the life that I kind of wanted back then and I'd set it up. So I was like, well, there's. I think it's to be angry at what happened to me, but it's kind of pointless because I've actually achieved all the things I wanted. That whole kind of space where you're like, hmm, this isn't working, but what will work from now on?
0: Yes. And you said that you had the life that you wanted. What was the life that you had?
1: So I had freedom. I could come and go as I pleased. You know, I had enough money that I could kind of disappear and go to another capital city and eat great food and have a party as a drop of a hat. I owned my own car. I lived in my own nice place. I was able to eat at restaurants. You know, I was able to basically do whatever I wanted because I had enough cash available to me to do that. And without a prospect of living longer, I had no reason to save. You know, my cash was disposable in that time frame. So I had this very heady lifestyle of you know, jet setting and, you know, oh, I like that. I want it. I can get it. And all the things that I didn't have when I was a child, you know, I was looking for that opposite, you know, in terms of freedom, cash, lifestyle, mobility, all the sort of trappings that come with a successful, you know, 20 something kind of lifestyle. I'd created that and that's what I had.
0: How did you go with the arthritis? Was it better at that time or were you still suffering a lot
1: from it? Oh, I was still suffering a lot from it. One of the issues with my arthritis is that um well with everyone's arthritis is they still don't actually know a lot about genetically what causes it so they try a lot of things because it manifests in so many ways like there's 200 versions of arthritis diagnosed out there and probably a lot more so it's a case of like you know try this treatment try this treatment try this treatment try this treatment until you hit on something that works and we hadn't really got to that point yet so i was having a lot of side effects as a result of the medications that they were telling me i needed to take to reduce symptomology And it wasn't really doing that, but it was doing a lot of the negative stuff. So I was still in a lot of pain and having a lot of drama with that. But because I'd kind of chosen that this wasn't going to stop my life, it was kind of like, well, yep, that's pain. I'm going to feel it every day. So what? That can park over there. I'm just going to still go and do this stuff. And it seems practical when I say it a lot harder to put in practice. Like it would take me some days, an hour to convince myself to get out of bed and live through pain, feel the pain and have nothing but pain, Or I go out and I have the pain, but I have all this other stuff as well. That's the choice I had to make every day, daily waking up to kind of how engaged in life am I going to be today? You know, how much pain am I going to tolerate from my body? How much am I going to let this disease control me? And i very much was like, well, it's not going to, out we go, get into life, work, go, because pain was constant. So it's like, well. I can sit here and still have the same amount of pain, or I can go out and I can build a lot of memories and I can have a lot of exciting stuff happen in my life and still just have pain. To me, the choice is obvious, but a lot of challenges to actually put that in practice and a lot of mindset and a lot of self talk to kind of get out of bed, go seize the day, carpe diem. I was in that space, which was great, but as I said, I didn't have a lot of anger to tap into anymore. I'd kind of siphoned it off and so it was becoming where it's like okay this is great and i didn't know what that but was afterwards i just knew there was more and that's when i um came across coaching and nlp neurolinguistic programming and started to genuinely change my mindset instead of just you know the the iteration of get out of bed you're going to have pain and that story i was telling myself i was actually able to do more than that with my mindset through the use of nlp tools and that not only gave me more achievement, but it actually allowed me to see that and wanted more to life, you know. So at this point it was very much about work and achievements and ticking boxes and having experiences, but they were tick boxes, you know, great, been there, done that, great, been there, done that. What NLP allowed me was the space to kind of be present doing those things and allow myself to feel the fun and feel all this other stuff that I hadn't really allowed myself to feel because I had all this anger. It's very hard to be in a place of fun when you're kind of fuming over here and and siphoning off this, you know, very angry energy to drive you. It's a bit of a challenge. So what I realised is I could replace the anger with all these other positive emotions that were still allowing me access to the energy behind them but were actually a lot more healthy to feel and to emote and to use kind of made me a bit of a better person a more relaxed being not quite so uptight and all those things that I'd kind of been told I was so the next couple of years of kind of really just exploring having fun you know creating friendships with genuine people instead of sort of the surface friends who are like, oh, let's jet set to Sydney and go party all night. You know, that was great, but I wanted a genuine connection. Yes. So I could start developing that more because obviously I knew myself more and kind of knew this space I was looking to fill. I could try hobbies and actually be present with the hobby and, and decide whether I actually enjoyed it or not rather than just, oh, look, a hobby, great, tick, I've accomplished that, right, okay, next hobby. You know, I actually could have a space where it's like, oh, actually I enjoyed that, maybe I could just keep doing it fun you know so that was a whole new kind of concept in terms of that you know when I'm at a restaurant I can actually stop be with the meal enjoy the flavors and just actually let that be in and of itself the enjoyment and the fun rather than great this is great food but I'm feeding this body because I've got to go do something else and that's sort of almost robotic like so that was probably the next stage of of my development and that's where I started to realize that resilience was kind of the word to describe everything I've been through you know, there's a phrase, um, experience is the thing you get just after you need it, and that's because you've been through the process and that sort of thing, and you've learned from it. Resilience is kind of the same. Resilience is what you get just after you need it, except if you practise it, you know. And what I realised is obviously is all these things that have happened to me, even the daily process of getting out of bed was me building a resilience muscle. Wow! That was a kind of, oh, wow, moment, because, you know, we're not encouraged to think of resilience as a characteristic like when you say oh tell me three things about yourself we're like oh i'm outgoing and i'm fun and i'm cheerful or i'm a good communicator you know resilience is not a characteristic that frequently comes to mind for people and yet it's incredibly powerful so i'm a big advocate and, and one of my kind of favorite speeches to give is kind of you know about resilience and and building it like a muscle and using smaller events to kind of stretch you in resilience so that when the big one hits kind of thing, you've got some practice and you've got some confidence in your ability to get through this big stuff knowing that you've practiced resilience and, and you have it as a characteristic as opposed to kind of having that overwhelm and then discovering resilience later.
0: It's very interesting what you're saying. So how could you describe resilience? Because some people they may go for experiences and they may not feel that they got resilience from it. When you said we don't really use that often as a characteristic, with your experience, describe resilience in a way that people can understand. So resilience,
1: for me, the simplest way to put it is the ability to deal with stuff. So stuff happens. You know, life is not perfect. Life is not a straight line. It is not ever like the brochure says it's going to be. And so resilience is the ability when that path is interrupted the ability to manage through that to get to the other side and maintaining a sense of self. And there's probably three characteristics I kind of talk about in developing resilience, so if you want to practise. So the first one I find really important is being really clear on your values. So, you know, family, health, money or financial freedom, lots of different values that people have. People value freedom. They value the ability to travel. They value the stability. So, knowing what those kind of top three to five values are for yourself allows you to very quickly filter through what's important when something happens. You know, so if, if family, stability, good health, they're your three top values. When, say, you lose someone in your life, anything that doesn't relate to those three values suddenly becomes less important, and you can kind of filter that away and go, right now I only have space for things that fill these values while I'm dealing with this stuff and this loss and whatever has happened. So getting really clear on your values before they're tested and before you have to go through that process is really important, I think, to kind of be able to then go, does it fit in these top values? No, then right now it's not actually important to me and I can let it go and I can pass it on to someone else or I can delay it and and that sort of thing. So to me, that's a really important sort of first step. The second step is then priorities. So kind of like values, but in terms of things to do, but allowing yourself to have a level of organisation and knowing what's important rather than just urgent. I think it's Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has the, you know, what's important, what's urgent, what's not important, but urgent and what's urgent, but not important. Anyway, you get the idea. So in the important spot. Yes, we'll just go with it. You know, look it up. Um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. There's this little diagram that explains it, but essentially, things that are urgent aren't necessarily important. So you can do them without being too attached. You know, sometimes you get really caught up in a task that doesn't have that sense of urgency and doesn't have that demand. So we can kind of let it go. We can either delegate it to someone else, which I'm, you know, learning more and more is a good thing to do. The best availability in a, in a really short amount of space and, and move it on because it's not important. With that sort of categorization, knowing what's important allows you to prioritise those things and then, again, let the rest fall away. So you can see with the combination of your values and then tasks falling into that urgent important category, all of a sudden you can start to let go of all of the other stuff around. And making those decisions in smaller ways and on smaller cases is what practices that sort of muscle and the, the habit of being able to do that. So, you know, example is someone cuts you off in the drive to work. You know, we've all had it happen to us. It's really annoying. We get really cranky. We kind of, you know, swear words and rude gestures and, and whatever, potentially. And, you know, some people allow that to kind of take the rest of the day. We turn up to work, we're cranky, we tell everyone, we pass it on. You know, we have rump. we have rumph. We're not necessarily engage we don't smile at people and we kind of spread that around whereas if we can practice a resilience in that moment and kind of go well does this impact my top three values not really is this important for me to spend energy on not really so you can see with just those two things it's a kind of okay well maybe we let it go maybe we have our little you know you're so and so and then let it go And move on so that when we turn up to work, it's not controlling the rest of our day. It's not determining our interactions with other people. Because, you know, you turn up cranky, you share that cranky with others, they in turn then get cranky with you. And, you know, that interaction then escalates rather than dissipates. That makes sense. Like it's a really practical thing when you kind of lay it out, but we often get so caught in that state and hold on to it. When practising resilience allows us to let it go and, like I said, flexes that muscle so when the really big stuff happens, we know what we can let go of really quickly and we practise it, letting go of it so that there's that space for resilience to occur. And then there's one more thing and it's communication which kind of ties all that together and that's communication with yourself. You know, what do I need right now? What's important to me? How does this affect my values? Like we've kind of run through having that communication and, you know, what do I need right now? To be able to just take another step in life, you know, like myself talk in the morning, I'm always going to have pain. I can either have pain with nothing else or I can have pain with an accomplishment or an achievement or an experience. What am I going to choose today is really important. And then externally as well, you know, when big stuff happens, a lot of us just shut down. We close off, we disappear, we take some time for ourselves, which is valid, but we often forget to communicate to others that's what we're doing or that's what we need And then obviously when that space starts to break open, we're ready to interact, a lot of people aren't around because we've kind of, you know, we've not responded, we've not communicated, just give me some time. So when we start to engage, they're either not there or they're a little bit disengaged or they're not sure because we haven't communicated. Okay, now I'm ready to engage again. Please meet me. Please be with me. Please interact in some way. And again, the communication, I really appreciate what you're doing for me right now, but it's not supporting me. So, I would really appreciate this in a couple of weeks when I can be in the space to accept this. If you wouldn't mind, that would really, really suit me right now. So, you can see that that's on your values. It's allowed you to create some priorities and you've communicated. To me, that's kind of the core of resilience. If you can do all those things and you can do them with the small stuff, you've at least prepared in some way and you've got good habits set up for when big stuff hits. Wow, that's really amazing. Yeah, I spent a lot of time trying to break it down because of course everyone's like how have you done this? How have you gone from abused child to leader, writer, coach, powerhouse, you know, superwoman? I'm not special. I don't have superpowers. Although some of my friends kind of do tend to wonder whether I secretly do, but yeah, I don't I you know I don't I wasn't bitten by a radioactive spider or anything that gives me the ability to leap tall buildings, you know. I think resilience is a superpower. I think our definition of superpower needs to change, but that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, people are like, how have you done this? The statistic that says you should be either on the streets or, you know, kind of passing that abusive cycle on or, you know, addicted to substances to numb the pain and all those other choices that sadly people tend to fall into more because they haven't realised and been given the power of knowing that there is a different path and there is a bigger life out there and they can have what they want despite what's happened to them. And so I have spent a lot of time thinking about it, which is why I've kind of tried to break down that resilience because a lot of people are like, oh, you just need to be resilient. Sure, okay, what is that? What does that look like? That look that comes from, again, being told I'm not worthy as a child. A lot of self-help books kind of go into, well, you know, you just believe that you're worthy. It's like when you don't know what worthy means, what it is, so when I was sort of breaking down what is worthy and how do I feel worthy, all these other things popped with it and came with it. And resilience is definitely a part of it. So I've spent a bit of time trying to break it down to allow people to have some of the characteristics and values and techniques that I've used to overcome and achieve and be more than you know, what my childhood told me I was going to be. Wow,
0: thank you so much, uh, Vicky. That was so amazing for you to really describe resilience in a way that even me, I was fascinated and I was so into the description. I'm like, wow, I'm going to use some of that. Definitely. (laughs) It's so good. And would you say that now you've been on the driver's seat of your life? That's it for a long time?
1: Oh, absolutely. For many years now, since that sort of pivotal moment where I kind of realized that, you know, I was achieving more than most people achieve with all the stuff that was going on and the disease and kind of really being able to embrace well you know if that's the case then i am worthy and i am okay and i and can be confident i live my life you know like a car that you know in in australia we have the same like drive it like you stole it you know i feel like i've done that with my life as well i've driven it like i stole it yes that metaphor works because the childhood i had led me to believe there was a vastly different life so i do in some ways, feel like what I have, I've stolen from the jaws of defeat.
0: Yes, that's so beautiful. And it's so important for people to hear that because so many people are let themselves down, but they don't even know that they're doing it. It's just the society, the pressure and everything on the top one of each other. It's really important to have people like you that just talk about your experience and really bring it together. You sound like a very strong and determined woman and uh, very successful as well. Anything else that you would like to share that is very powerful as you're in the momentum?
1: I'm not a special individual. I am another human born on this planet who made different choices and refused to take on what she was told she was only worth. And I think that's probably just the most powerful thing, is that you are not what other people tell you are. You are not the result of your childhood you are not a compilation of everything that's happened to you you can literally get in the driver's seat it's not easy it's complicated i was not perfect in this journey and i've made some really stupid choices however it is a practice and the further you take steps towards what you want and forget about and let go of where you were and what you're supposed to have and be and do, the easier it gets. The more you practice, which we all know, the more you practice, the better you get. Practicing loving yourself. Some people kind of cringe at that, particularly when their display of love is negative. But practicing all of the things, believing in yourself, practicing listing all your accomplishments each day so that you start to hear the value you've given to society and therefore the worth that you inherently have. Practice being confident, even if you don't feel like it, because as you practice it, it will become a habit. Practice choice and not reactions. You know, like we talked about with the, you know, someone cut you off in traffic, you have a reaction to that that's negative and then you carry that on. Practice choosing to be a different person in that moment and take a different path and feel a different way. Practicing each day a little bit more and pushing yourself just one step further In that practice, you will eventually turn around and look how far you've come from where you were and suddenly have that kind of aha moment of I'm the result of my choices and the circumstances of everything, not just what I was brought up to believe and what I was told I was only good for and what the experiences my previous life told me was my value. Create your own value. Create your own worth. No one can take it away.
0: This is so beautifully said and it's so inspiring. I'm feeling really grateful right now and uh, I'm feeling in a good place because um, positive energy that you're sending is so powerful and I'm sure that everyone as the audiences that is listening, they're going to feel it as well and take this action and take responsibility for their own life and value themselves. But as you said, just categorize what it is the resilience. What does it mean to you? And uh, thank you so, so much again. And I really appreciate all your time. Thank you for being on the driver's seat club today.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Valerie. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening. Stay tuned and subscribe to the driver's seat club. Until next time, have a powerful day.